Well, you know, before I start uh, sharing what I feel like the Lord's placed on my heart, I, I really want to give a special thanks. You know, uh, every time you get an opportunity like this, you want to give a good Grammy speech. So I just want to thank my amazing wife, Sonia. Uh, she has been the best partner, uh, the best supporter in the youth ministry. She is, uh, uh, in a way, some uh, a, a mama kind of figure in our youth group, and uh, the girls love her, and um, they relate to her a lot. So I just want to thank my, my wife for always holding me down, and uh, I want to thank the elders. Uh, thank you guys, seriously, for, for believing in me. There's a lot of people that uh, have marked my life, and the three of you guys are, are some of those people that have marked my life. Lisa, uh, my Uncle Kev back there. Um, yeah, you guys have given me permission uh, to fly, so I appreciate that, and I thank you for that. And uh, special thanks to my family back there. My mom's in the house, too. Uh, I think my brother's in here somewhere as well. But, uh, yeah, I just... Uh, I'm so excited to have this opportunity to share with you guys and encourage y'all. Um, but before I get into everything, can we just bow our heads one more time in prayer and ask the Lord to just, uh, to just speak to us this morning? Yeah, if you've got a prayer language, go ahead and, and lift up your voice. Let's, let's ask the Lord to really move mightily this morning because without his spirit, there's no point. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Your mercies are new this morning, Lord. God, I thank you that you place this word in my spirit and you're going to encourage your body today. God, I thank you that today your church is going to find her voice. God, I thank you that you are going to strengthen, you are going to bolster, you are going to confirm your sons and your daughters today through your word. Lord, we just say, have your way in our lives. We open up our ears, we open up our eyes, God, and we ask, we want everything that your word has given us access to for today. We want it all, God, and we're here for it all. We thank you, God. Let your word come forth strongly this morning in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. So a little bit of an update. Um, my wife and I have been youth pastors here for two and a half years, and it has been a journey. Boy, it has been a journey. Uh, just a real quick tidbit about myself. I, uh, I had one job coming out of high school. I was a professional box stacker and cutter for Publix. Uh, warehouse. I, I worked there for seven years. Uh, really, really crazy story um, that I could tell you, but the Lord made a way, and uh, uh, he, he put me here. Honestly, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't knocking on the door or anything. Um, the Lord made a way, and I can tell you as a testimony that when you are in close proximity with Jesus, you will not miss your moment. You're not going to miss your moment if you stick close to him, because he has your best interests in mind. He's not going to forget about you. And so anyways, uh, yeah, we've, we've been privileged to lead the, the charge for our youth ministry. And uh, it's growing in number. It's growing in uh, faith. And let me hit on just like two or three little things that we've been talking about 
uh, this year before uh, COVID 2020 struck, right? Um, the, the first thing that I really believe the Lord gave Sonia and I uh, at the end of 2019 was Psalm 42. And that scripture says, deep cries out unto deep. And there's this thing that I, I started reading uh, Mike Bickle's book. It's called Seven Longings of the Human Heart. And that first chapter, I guess just got to tell you, if you've never, uh, if you're not a, a big reader, can I tell you that first chapter, like, really did something in my heart. And he gave language and permission for me to feel certain things and for me to make sense about my life. And um, there, he, he basically talks about uh, these desires that God has placed within you because he made you a certain way. And we had this thing in our hearts like, man, I really believe the Lord wants to give our young people language. You are not shallow. You're not made to be shallow. You are deep because God is deep. And his deep cries out to your deep. And it's deep. So the Lord wants us to be deep. Uh, he wants us to find language for those things, those uh, uh, desires that he's placed in our hearts. And in many ways, we fulfill those desires the wrong way by running to other pleasures. But I could tell you this morning, he is our superior pleasure. He is our superior pleasure. Another thing we've been going after as COVID uh, 2019, 2020, whatever you want to call it, I don't know if it's going to morph into 21. We pray in the name of Jesus it doesn't. But, uh, yeah, when COVID struck, uh, it, was, it was really weird. I've never walked through a crisis like that before. And in ministry, it's kind of like, what do you do? And uh, uh, the Lord began to uh, breathe on our hearts discipleship. And so in Matthew 28, Jesus gives the Great Commission. And he says this. He says, he, uh, at the end of his, his, his thing, he's saying, go out into all the nations, preach the gospel. And he says this, he says, teaching them how to obey my commands. And the Lord began to place this thing on our hearts like, man, if we were to have the kids in here for just a short amount of time, the biggest thing that we would want to leave them with is I don't have to twist your arm. Are you going to young adults ministry? Are you serving God? Are you reading your Bible? Do you love the Lord? What's going on? We want to teach them how to obey his commands and to love him because he's our superior pleasure. And the last thing, my kids know this, I have been preaching the cross. There is no other message. Every, even this message that uh, I believe the Lord is going to give us a word of encouragement today. He wants to strengthen our body. But it really leads all back to the cross. There's no other message except the cross. And so we've been talking about what it means to be saved. Like, what, what salvation? What is that magical thing that we hear? Like, I'm saved. Like, I'm once saved. I'm always saved. Or I'm like, what, what does that even mean? How do I get saved? What does it look like to be saved? And then what does the rest of my life look like? Sanctification, we talked about that. And so we've been, uh, we've been hammering that, the, the cross, man, the most important thing, the moment of salvation, the most important thing about us, the most important moment in your life is when you receive Jesus and you find hope and you find faith to bolster you, to hold you down. When all of the schemes of the enemy come to destroy your life. So I, I, I want to ask uh, this. I, I, I feel like I sense this kind of in the air. I sense this um, at least in the past three weeks or so. 
uh, I really believe that the devil and the enemy has been extra accusing. How many of you guys know he's an accuser? He's a liar. And it's good for you to speak that out because sometimes you might believe him if you let it stay in your mind long enough. There's power in your words. And so I, I really, uh, this is coming from a words of affirmation guy myself. I, I really, uh, I, I receive love well when uh, somebody encourages me. But anyways, but the enemy, I really believe this past couple of weeks or so, there's something in the air. Um, there's, there's this accusatory spirit. There's this uh, whispering in the ear like, God's not good enough. He's not going to come through. He's not who he says he is. And then you combine that with the pressures of life. I mean, how many of you this past two, three weeks, you could say the same thing. This is, this is definitely me. I don't know what's in the air. Maybe it's the holidays. Maybe it's when you see your family during the holidays, whatever. But something's in the air, and it's like extra. You guys feel what I'm saying? And so I really believe, like, with the pressures of life, I mean, like, Gosh, could we, it's like the beginning of the year, could it get any worse? Boom, COVID. Could it get any worse? Boom, rioting, looting, uh, uh, you know, all the racial uh, injustice, all of those things. Uh, Can it get any worse? And then we see the media coming out with every wicked scheme from the devil uh, about Joe Biden and about Trump and all this stuff. And it's just, it's, it's like muddy air. And it leaves you feeling kind of salty. That's a, that's a millennial term or really that's a, yeah, it's a millennial term. Keeps you leaving salty, edgy. And so the enemy, I really believe, wants to accuse you that your faith is not real. He wants to confront in the pressures of life that you, you know, how many of you know that it, there's a, there's something about the, the pressures of life that squeezes you and it, it causes you to almost go in the corner and, and, and uh, something has to come out. You know, the, the, the pressures of life have a way of really, really, really getting down to what you really believe. Really. It has a way of, of, of cutting past all of the uh, Christian language, and, and you guys know what I'm talking about. It cuts past all the Christian language, and how many of you guys thought you were Christians until pressure came? And I really believe that, uh, again, the enemy, he, I mean, we see this. He wants to accuse. He wants to put the pressure. He wants to put the gas on the pedal and let you feel every single thing, and he wants to tell you uh, uh, to, you know, we see this with COVID. Uh, what happened when pressure came? People began to retreat to the spirit of Netflix. And all of a sudden, I'm a Netflix expert. But see, what's interesting is that you'll run in your times of pressure to the thing that you find most comfort in. And I really believe, I, I, was, I was looking at this encouraging word that I gave back in April, and the Lord's kind of just renewing in me. But, um, man, I, I really believe the Lord wants us to examine the very things that we're putting trust in. He wants to check our faith. And life has a way of just really getting down to it. You know, I wrote some of these things down that, that we, we do when the pressure is on. We run to our comforts. We hide. In Genesis 3, 
when Adam and Eve, they, they made a big mistake, the first thing that they did was they hid. Anger, fear rises up. Running away from God, rioting, looting, chaos, death. And so the enemy, I really feel in this season, uh, I don't know exactly what all is going on, but I, I really believe the enemy wants to kill your faith. He wants to lie to you about God's character. He wants to tell you your faith is meaningless. He wants to tell you, you know what, at the end of the day, you can live your life trying to please God and prove to, that God is real and stuff. But I'm just telling you, he's fake. He's lying. Look at the pressures of life. And, you know, there, I'm, I'm reminded in Revelation when, you know, the saints, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I believe there's, there's a, a people that uh, are in the earth that the enemy is trying to establish saying, my testimony is pain. You can't tell me God is real because I've been through some stuff. And let me tell you something, guys. This is, this is the hour. There's no greater moment in the time of history that we've been for the church to find her voice. For the church to be, uh, uh, I said this to Brother Randy uh, a time ago, a God confidence. A God confidence. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about cockiness. But the Lord wants to establish us so strongly in God's faithfulness that when the times of shaking come, they won't shake us. Because we know who our God is, we know who lives on the inside of us, and we know whom, to whom we belong and to where we're destined for. Uh, the, I felt like the Lord told me this last week, but he said, we don't have time. I, I can't afford to think about myself any different than the, Lord, the way the Lord sees me. I can't afford to think thoughts about myself that aren't the thoughts of God about me. In times of crisis, it's most, the most important thing is for us to respond rightly to the cross. You know, it's our only pleasing act of worship to run to the cross, to find strength in him. And I'm telling you, the, the world is looking for hope. The world, especially we live in the Bible Belt, people are tired of talking about Christianity, and there's no substance. There's a like, okay, but, I, you know, I, I, feel, I feel this strongly in my spirit because I question, I really do, I question a gospel that doesn't hit home for the everyday person. I question that kind of gospel. Is that okay? I question that kind of gospel because I want people to know. You know, Sonia and I had the a pleasure. We went to Texas uh, on our, our little vacation trip, and uh, uh, we were walking around the Texas mall, which is like, it was like real crazy. It was real nice. But there was this guy. He's kind of like at a shoe cleaning stand, and I'm walking over. He's like, hey, bro, let me sell you on these products. Uh, you know, uh, let me clean your shoes and whatnot. And so he's cleaning my shoes, and I'm just like, okay, you know, how you doing, da 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 we walk into another store, and I just feel the Holy Spirit. And he says, go back over there. You know you ain't done. So I walk over there, and Sonia and I begin to minister to him. And I'm like, oh, dude, you know those people that have heard the word of God before? And I'm like, hey, man, um, 
I just want to ask you, do you, do you think God's real? Like, what, how do you feel about him? And he's like, oh, are you like, are you like in a church or something? Like, he thinks he's about to get tackled, like, and uh, I'm like, man, you know, I'm just, I'm just a son. I'm just a believer. And so he's, you know, uh, he's sharing about different things and, and uh, starts talking about all these vain pursuits, wanting to move to California and do all this other stuff. And he begins to open up about, man, you know, I don't know about God because my mom had me as a drug user. And now because of it, I have seizures like all the time. I can't even join the military and whatnot. And I began to minister to him. And it made me I left that conversation um, just feeling like, man, the world is really looking for substance. They don't want talk without action. They want the real thing. How many of you guys want the real thing? Cut the act, cut the fluff, cut the production. Give me the real thing. Give me the substance that will hold me down, that will bolster my faith, that will tell me that, that I know that I know that I know. And so what I believe is the Lord wants to do today, I believe he wants to encourage us today. He wants to, he wants to strengthen our faith. He wants to steady our faith. He wants to draw us back to the place of intimacy because the Father's voice is strongest in the secret place. It's not the strongest, you know, I, I, uh, you know in the middle of all the pressure and stuff, you, you feel... Like, man, God, where's your voice? I don't know what to do. What do you do when somebody's in your face and they're like, I don't believe? Or you see COVID, you see people uh, passing away, loved ones, uh, different things happening, losing your job or losing your home or whatnot. And you have to answer the question because it's still looming there. The unanswered questions in our heart that we really try to bury down with Christianese doesn't work anymore. We got to answer the question. But the voice of the Father, can I tell you something? That the voice of the Father has a way of cutting through the fog, has a way of, of, of holding us, of confirming our faith. And when we get into his presence, there's something that happens. Carissa talked about this last week. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and, and all that's going on, we look to him and we begin to just cry out. We feel the love of God. We feel his presence begin to wash over us. So I want to call us to the secret place today. If you have your Bible real quick, I want to turn us to Hebrews 11. 1. 11. 1. The title of my message today is called Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Another translation says the pioneer and the perfecter. I like that. Jesus is the author. He wrote your faith, and he's the one that's going to finish it. So I want to try to paint a little bit of a picture for the word faith. Um, you know, according to Miriam Webster, Webster um, faith is your complete trust in someone or something. Your faith, and, and I find this funny because for a long time, I, I thought growing up in the church, uh, actually not growing up, but 13 uh, from the youth group and onward, I thought that faith was like this like little magical thing. It's just kind of in the air. Like, 
whatever faith is. It's just whatever you want it to be. It's magical. And it's by faith you believe God is who he says he is. And it's like, ooh. But faith is your complete trust. It's actually substantial. It's your complete trust in someone or, or something. And can I tell you that for each and every one of us in this room, you believe in something and there's something, something, somewhere or someone that you have put all of your trust in. Michaela talked a little bit about this on, on Wednesday. She preached, love my leaders. They're amazing. Shout out to you guys. Uh, she, she preached on worship. And uh, I couldn't help but think, man, you know, the object of our worship is the thing that we are willing to sacrifice for because we trust it, we love it, we want to protect it. Here, here's what I wrote down. Faith is the thing that we believe by. The scriptures also tell us that faith is the thing that solidifies our status with the Father. It solidifies your sonship, your daughtership. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith actually calls you to action, it, and it even colors your actions, how you go about things, what you actually do. The scriptures also tell us, tells us that faith is how we please God, because without faith, you can't. And the last one is we've been saved by grace through faith. Here's what I wrote down. I wrote this little formula. Actually, let me go ahead and share the scripture, and I'll share that. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. Everybody say hope for. And certain of what we do not see. Faith is substantial. Faith is not magical. It's that assurance. It's that thing that tells you, I know that I know that I know of what we hope for. You know, uh, a biblical translation of that word, word hope, it's more like uh, an expectation. It's not like, I hope that I win the lottery and it might happen, but I'm really believing that it's going to happen. That hope is, is concrete. It's an assurance. And so I wrote this little formula down. Don't, don't quote me too hard by it. This is a, a work in progress here, but trust leads to faith. Faith leads to hope and hope leads to confidence. You know, I ask myself, how in the world do I find confidence in a world that's so shaky? When I myself am a young leader and I'm still learning how to surrender to the Lord, I'm still, uh, uh, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. How, how do I become patient with myself in the process and not get frustrated or retreat in my anger because God hasn't moved the way that I've wanted him to move and he hasn't moved in the, the way that he has in the previous season? How do I do that? How do I, <laughs> I was wrestling with Father Barry about this. How, do, how, how are you called to be confident, but you're also called to be humble? Does that, like, I mean, am I, like, too cocky or am I, like, you know, I, I was listening. How many of you guys have heard Corey Russell's new album? So good. If you don't know who Corey Russell is, he's a brother. He's at uh, Upper Room. Uh, he, he made a, uh, an album with music behind it, and he prays, and there's this track called Intimacy. And he makes these strong claims. And as I was listening to it, I'm like, man, that's hard for me to say. 
And he's, he's praying, and you could feel the Spirit of God moving. He says, I'm the object of your affection, Father. I am the one that you delight in. I'm like, ooh, that's tough. You know, there's, there's something about God's presence. You know, faith, you can't have faith if you don't have trust. If faith is the thing that holds us down when calamity comes, when struggles come, it's going to cause you to ask, who are you trusting in? Are you hearing me this morning? When pressures come, you're going to pray to somebody. You're going to find out who you really trust. And that's the biggest thing in my heart to prepare our students for, because when you get out there in the real world, there is there's no chill. The world does not care in that sense. There's a, a spirit in the air. It's me, 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 pain and, and hurt. And I really believe the Lord wants to uh, call us to the secret place because he wants us to trust him. He wants to actually encourage you. Can I tell you that? He wants you to be a confident son and daughter, but you can't be confident in someone you don't know. You can't be confident in something you don't know about. You can't have confidence to come up here and preach or teach or say something if you don't even know what you're talking about. And there comes a time in our faith where we have to make it our own, away from what the naysayers say, away from the, I mean, we've believed too many lies from the devil for so long, guys. There's some of you in this room that have believed the lie of the enemy over your life for way too long. And I believe the Lord's going to set some of us free this morning. He's going to clear the confusion. He's going to clear the fog. God wants you to trust him so he can increase your faith so you're ready for that moment so that you can rejoice in the highs and you can rejoice in the lows. And then you can say, by the testing of my faith, I persevered. God built character in me and ultimately I received hope because the world is looking for hope. The world is looking for a reason. The person sitting next to you is looking for hope. They're looking for an expression of the love of the Father. This is why the secret place is so important, and our faith is so important. I crack up reading the story in Luke 22 of, of Peter. You know, Jesus apparently had this little uh, meeting with the devil, and Jesus is talking to Peter right before he's about to go to the cross. And he's like, Peter, come here. You know, Satan asked me if he could sift you. And I can imagine Peter's like, oh, snap. And by the way, the scripture says sift all of you, every single part. And you know what the greatest encouragement Jesus has to give him? Guess what it is? Take heart. I've prayed for you. Really? Thanks. But you know, there's something about Jesus. Now, when he said, I prayed for you, he was sure of it. And he said, oh, and by the way, you're going to turn away from the Lord. But when you turn back, because I know, because I've prayed for you and I believe in you, encourage your brothers. 
So we grow in faith for the day of trouble. We grow, we prepare ourselves for these times, how to walk every day, how to look at yourself in the mirror. I believe there's some of you, I feel like the Lord's whispered this to me in my heart. There's some of you in this congregation that have been dealing with self-hatred. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. The Lord only bears with me. You know, when you get in the quiet place and you hear his voice, it has a way of unraveling all the lies that we've believed. I want to encourage us today to run to the secret place, to abide, to tend. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. That's what I'm all about. I love the conferences. I love the hype. I love the power of God. But I'm the kind of guy that's like, okay, when this person's disappeared, what am I left with? And we need to be, again, the Lord is wanting to bolster our faith. He wants to give you confidence. He wants to give you a sure hope so that you are strong, so that you are sharp, uh, so you are ready for those that would come and oppose your faith. And you can wrap them up in the love of God. You can cut through the lies of the enemy, and you can bring a real hope. This world's looking for hope, y'all. the biggest message of my life, hope. There's a reason for you being alive. Turn to 1 Samuel 30. We're going to go through a little story about David. That's my boy right there, David. We doing good, church? The The Lord's going to help us find our voice. He wants us to roar. No more meowing. Stop it. My cat meows. If you don't know this about me, me and my wife love our cat, Mila. I have faith in her that one day the Lord will rid her of the spirit of rejection and that she will stop trying to run out of my door. Amen. All right, baby, just come spend time with the Father. I'm your daddy. (laughs) I'm a cat dad. Anyways, I'm proud of it. All right, here we go. Y'all, y'all there with me? Say amen if you got it. First Samuel 30. All right, let me help you set the stage real quick. David has joined the Philistines. Yes, he joined up with that squad. Leah's laughing that I'm still a cat dad. It's okay. So David has left... The Israelites, um, you know, Saul tried to straight up kill him like three or four times, and David wasn't having that, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to run over to the Philistines, and I'm going to take 600 men with me. And so he begins to live there for a year and four months. This guy, David, you know, he's he's gone through all kinds of stuff, man. And... Uh, you know, he's about, the Philistines are getting ready to march against Saul, who David has left, you know, everything that he's known to align with an enemy. It's a really weird circumstance, but uh, I believe the story kind of helps paint a picture of 2020 and some of the things that we've been going through. But um, so what happens is the Philistines are beginning to march on uh, to fight Saul 
and the leaders of the Philistines, they begin to say, uh, how about them Hebrews? And so uh, he tells uh, this guy named Achish, who's kind of over David, and he's like, you need to tell um, David and his men to back off. They were at the rear, ready to, ready just to march on. He's like, because, you know, this would be the, the grand opportunity of a lifetime for uh, uh, a double whammy. He could come in here and go, man, you know what? I really want the favor of King Saul again. Uh, we're going to kill the Philistines from behind, and Saul's going to kill them from the front. And so Achish tells David, long story short, to go back to this portion of land called Ziklag that he has been given this, this place. Let's read chapter 30, verse 1. And David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and buried it, or burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. I'm not going to try and pronounce those names. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But pay attention to the scripture. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine, where some stayed behind for 200. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. I'll get into the rest of the story in a minute here, but... I want to begin to, uh, I feel like the Lord gave me a, a list of lies that the enemy has been whispering in our ears and that we've believed and given too much credit to for far too long. You know, the enemy attacks and he lies to us because he wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy that iron rod that, that's in you to hold you down. Here's lie number one, and we're going to go back through the story. Lie number one that might have been going through David's mind when he saw all the destruction. God isn't going to do what he said. You know, I can only imagine what it would have been like for David to come back. I mean, he's, again, I mean, this guy's young. He's left everything he's known. He's, he's with all these people. And he's been fighting for, like, the enemy team, and it's, like, kind of weird. He's, like, fighting on his own terms and all this stuff. And he, he goes back to Ziklag, and he's got nothing. Him and 600 men. Can I tell you, these 600 men are not wimps. Part of these 600 men I was been, I've been studying 
are some of the, you've heard of David's mighty men, the 37. One of these dudes are so bad that he killed 800 people in one sitting. Another dude killed 500, and his sword was so tightly wrapped around his hand that they couldn't even peel it off. Catch, uh, here's another dude. I don't know if he was with him, but this, I'm just painting a picture here. These guys are, are macho men. Macho, macho man. Yeah, you, guys, you guys know it. These were macho men. There's this one guy. He jumps down in the middle of winter into a pit to kill a lion. I don't know why he did that. Maybe he did that for fun. Who knows? But this guy, I mean, these guys, they're, they're macho. They're strong. And I can only imagine what's going through their heads and what's going through David's head. This is lie number one, that God isn't going to do what he said. Can I tell you in Revelation 19, here's a, another scripture I want to paint a picture of. Some of you might not like this, but Jesus is coming back on a white horse and he's tatted up. He's got a name on him that nobody knows. And he's coming in a white robe dipped in blood. And he's coming to establish justice in the earth. He's getting ready to bind up the enemy with some chains. He's getting ready to bind up the accuser. And here's what his army calls him, faithful and true. Capital F, capital T. Where is it at? It's all caps. Don't worry about it. Faithful and true is his name. Faithful and true. Where are my grammar people at? They know what that means. Faithful and true. It's not a quality about him. It's who he is. He is the definer of what it means to be faithful. He's the definer of what it means to be true. I'm having trouble with this big old Bible that Brandon gave me. I'm loving it, but I'm trying to flip through some things here. Let me give you some... Some word variations of that word faithful. In the Greek, it means reliable, trustworthy. You know what that word true means? He's genuine. I want to do my best this morning to call us back to the cross, call us back to the place of intimacy, because I think we've got a wrong perception of God in our thought life. When the pressures come and the Christianese wears off, I mean, I really question, do we really believe he's faithful and true? And if not, it calls into question, have I actually been spending time with him? Do I actually even like him? Because if I begin to open up the words of this Bible, it tells me that he's coming back for me and his name is faithful and true. Can I tell you, believers in this room, that when God says something to you, he's going to come through. God is going to come through. Why? Because it's his nature. He doesn't know how to be unfaithful. He doesn't know how to be fake. He doesn't know how to be untrue. In Hebrews 10, 23, it tells us, let us hold unswervingly to the faith, to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Man, in my early years and even even now in ministry, I I've been the Lord has been unwinding me 
in times of pressure, he's been, he's been after, man, what are your, your real thoughts about me? Do you look at me, Mick, through the eyes of how you see your own father? Or do you look to the word of God to define who I am? Because I'm not like your father. I'm not like other people. When I say something, I, I come through with it. There's some of you today that the Lord has, has given you a promise. He's given you a word. And I want to encourage you, hold on to that. He's going to come through. Clark family, when the Lord has given you a promise, he's the author of it and he's the finisher of it. He's going to pull through for you. He's going to pull through for you. If he is giving you a prophetic word, much like my life, I can say this from experience. It wasn't something that I mustered up. It was just how good he is. Because he wants to show himself faithful in your life. Joe, he's given you a promise. He's going to hold on to it. Because he's faithful. He's faithful. He's true. Hold on to your words of encouragement, y'all. I have this little box in my room with as many prophetic words that I could get. Uh, well, not that I could acquire, but don't do that. Somebody asks you for your credit card number and they'll give you a prophecy. Don't do it. Those should be free from the Lord. And if you really want an encouraging word, go to your Bible. Open it up. But man, I, I can't tell you enough, man. The enemy is such a liar. You're, I'm telling you, there's a group of people in this world that are going to say, you can't tell me he's going to do what he did. He, he's, he said he's going to do because my father walked out on me. My mom is addicted to drugs. My family is in shambles. Can I tell you, the Lord never desires that for you, your life or your family. He wants to establish hope in your life. He wants to make you a confident son and daughter because at the end of the day, I'm putting my chips where they, where they need to be in Revelation 19 when he comes back. He's going to be faithful and true to us. Not just because it's all about me, 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 or whatever. He's going to be faithful and true because he's going to establish his justice. And we sang that song, Great Are You, Lord. We're going to look to heaven one day. We're going to look to him, and he's going to be beautiful and radiant. And I'm telling you, your faith in that day is not going to fail you. He's faithful and true. That's lie number one that I really believe in this season because of the pressures and the pain the enemy has been whispering to us. He isn't going to do what he said he's going to do. And I can imagine this is something that David is trying to process. You know, one more scripture because you can't have too many, right? Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. I was holding this one, but I want to use it now. Because of a chap, uh, chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. Everybody say very clear. Crystal clear. Very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this 
So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, number one, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Can I tell you the Lord is not about minimums? He's not about giving you like, you know what? I'm going to give you one little word, and I'm telling you, you better hold on to that word, because if you don't, I'm not giving you another one. How many parents in here don't like to repeat themselves? (laughs) I felt that in the air, so I just felt like I needed to say that. But can I tell you, man, God is so good that he, uh, you know, this, this comes from the story of Abraham, and God you know, gave all these promises to Abraham, and after it's all said and done, and he's put, uh, Abraham has put his promise on the altar and said, my faith is in you, God. And he provided a way. You know, he says, I'm going to do something greater than just my word. My word is, it's not like it's, in, it's, it's uh, flaky or nothing like that. But let me tell you, I can, I can do something better I'm going to let you know that you are not just going to be encouraged. You're going to be greatly encouraged. And I tell you, the Lord wants to greatly encourage you today. He wants to greatly encourage you. By why? By, by swearing upon his very nature. It's who he is. It's more than a promise. It's an oath. Here's lie number two. Lie number one, he isn't going to do what he said he would. Lie number two, God isn't really good. His morals are actually really low. I know that sounds really weird, but can I tell you, come on, like, we got to be real here. When, when you really go through, like, a fight or an argument or, like, you know, you can't pay your bills or, or, or you, can't, you don't have food, you don't know what you're going to do, this is... You know, again, there's something about pressure that when it squeezes you, you got to examine what's going to come out. Something's going to come out. But I got to tell you that there are some of us in this room, me included, where I have believed the lie for far too long that God isn't really good. He's kind of shady, like sometimes he's sort of good, sometimes he's not. You know, if I obey him, he's, I mean, how many of you see those scriptures where it's like uh, uh, God's pleased with you when you obey him and stuff? Yeah, that's real. But like, man, sometimes you can read those scriptures and see it through a different lens and go, man, I just you, you can be really well acquainted with how much you really suck. You begin to feel like you're a nuisance to God, like, well, you know. Never really going to be good enough. God, you're not that good. Turn to Psalm 8. I was reading this scripture, Psalm 8, earlier this week, and I believe the enemy wants to attack the majesty of God, to your belief of God's majesty in your life. God doesn't really have good morals. He doesn't really care for me. In Psalm 8, you know, he says in verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. He goes down here, verse 3, when I consider 
your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Brennan was talking about this, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And he ends with, Lord, how majestic you are. You know, I believe that the enemy in this season has come to attack your faith by way of lying to you about God's majesty. His goodness. That word majesty, it refers to splendor. It refers to his goodness, his kindness. It refers to his glory. It refers to his nobility. I think about a king and his choices and how we are subject to the king. Whatever he says goes. And how many of you know you can be subject to the king, but you could still really question? And I really believe the enemy wants to attack and he wants to plant seeds of looming dark questions in your heart. And you say, yeah, God's faithful. Yeah, amen, hallelujah. But really deep down, when the pressure comes, you run away from God. God isn't really good. You know, he, he's really just in it for himself. We always hear glory, 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 all, all about him. And, you know, I'm just kind of left out. You know, some of these markers, you can hear them. There, there are many markers of the orphan mentality. But he says here in verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? I mean, like, this is the beauty of the cross. This is the beauty of the creator God. You know, David in this story, he's trying to figure out what in the world to do. And the scriptures tell us that he strengthened himself in the Lord, what? His God. The Lord, his God. I, I, I can't help but think that he began to think, man, you know what? How majestic is God. He's the creator of the universe. By, the, by his very words, he upholds the stars and the moon. I felt like the Lord told me this several months ago. But I, he said, I am the one, Mick, in your life that holds the stars and holds your heart. And the enemy wants to attack your faith. He wants to uh, make you think that you're not worth his time. But the scriptures tell us that God is mindful of us. That word mindful means to consider, to count you in, to remember. He's holding up the stars. He's fashioning the earth. And he's like, I know why I'm doing this. And you know what? There's a purpose. And I've counted you in. You're part of that. You are part of that. And yes, you are insignificant. You are small. But it leaves us saying, God, who are you? That you are mindful of me. You've counted me in. You're honorable. God is honorable. We see this through the scriptures. In Psalm 100, 105. You guys with me? Psalm 105. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Can you guys say that with me? For the Lord is good 
and his love endures forever. One more time. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. The rest of that scripture says his faithfulness continues through all generations. God is faithful and true. He will come through for what he said. That's who he is. We need to begin to not just resist the lies of the enemy, but we need to begin to expose. And I'm here to expose the lies of the enemy and bring some truth into your life, friend. God is who he says he is, and he is really good because his word tells us so. And I know that the pain sometimes can be so real. The looming thoughts in our mind can be so real. But can I tell you, God is faithful and true. Here's line number three. God is far away. He doesn't know my pain. Therefore, he can't relate to me, and neither can I. This is the lie of the enemy that he whispers into our mind and into our heart that when the pressures of life come, really, really what we believe is, man, you know what? I, I don't really believe that he's going to do what he said he would. I don't really believe that he's that good. I mean, I probably deserve this, right? And number three, he's too far away. He's checked out. He's busy. He doesn't know my pain. He doesn't know my struggle. He hasn't been in my shoes. Therefore, he can't relate, and neither can I. Hebrews 4, 14. I'm getting close to the end here. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. God wants to bolster our faith. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Can I tell you, if you got faith in this room today, you didn't stumble upon it on accident. You didn't find it on accident. It's because you were in the secret place digging for it. And the Lord began to pour his spirit out upon you. So what I encourage, we encourage our, our students, open up your Bible. Learn how to trust him. Learn how to have hope in him. That's how you are going to get through it. That's how you're going to become confident. That's how you're going to be able to say for each and every one of us that wants this, including me. I want to be able to say in the day of calamity, in the day of trouble, in the day-to-day, in the everyday life, that God, you are faithful. Even though I feel the pressure and all I can see is, is, is this stuff. I know that you're faithful and you're going to come through. Would you help my unbelief? Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. He's saying here, let's not just talk about it. Let's be about it. Hold on to your faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. But let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. There's that word again. Confidence. 
faith, hope, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what's great about this is that, and, and I'm applying this to the story of David here, again, imagining, man, there's this calamity. I have no idea what's, what's going to happen. These men are getting ready to stone me. They're, they're thinking about it. They're talking about it. And, I mean, they're ferocious men. And they've wept and they've lost it. They got nothing left to lose. Where are you, God? Do you know my pain? One of the things that I love about this scripture is that he says, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Turn to your neighbor and I want you to say this. He feels me. Turn to your other neighbor. Say he feels me. He feels what you're going through. He's not this distant God that doesn't know anything about what you're going through. Can I tell you that there's no one greater equipped than, than God himself, than Jesus himself, to, to sympathize with your pain? You know, the scriptures tell us that he came to a very people that didn't even recognize him. Talk about rejection. Talk about abandonment. Where do I fit in? It's these questions that loom in our hearts. And God wants to let you know that not only does he see your pain, but he acknowledges it. And he's calling us this morning to come close to him, to feel his presence, to get up in the Bible, to pray, to get alone and let the voice of the father begin to cut through the fog, cut through the the uh, the myopia, the 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 all of the fog and the garbage that the enemy has been whispering to us to get down to the core of what you really believe and begin to strengthen and encourage you for the days of head, ahead. You know, in Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. But the basis of of the book of Hebrews, the writer is basically getting the Israelites ready to to face the Romans. They're about to tear down the synagogue. They're about to tear everything down. And he makes two massive points, and he says, uh, overarching whoever this person is, they they make this, this plea that don't run away from your faith because you know what? You don't have anywhere else to run to. He's the only place that we can find hope and confidence and faith for the days ahead. And the other thing is that Jesus is our superior pleasure. Oh, if you just knew what you were made for. If you just knew who you were. You know, it's not until we get into the presence of the definer. It's not until we get into his presence that he defines our faith. We have to confront, we have to get in the presence of identity's definer before we find our own identity. So there's line number three. God is far away. Can I tell you, man, in your pain, he was there. He wasn't an absent father. He wasn't the father that stood in the background and kind of chuckled as you went through your time. 
I want each and every one of us to know that God is not just a, he's not this far away, distant. He's a father. A broken and contrite heart is a sacrifice that he does not despise. And here's line number four. So line number one, he isn't going to do what he said he would. Number two, God isn't really that good. Therefore, his morals are actually really low. Number three, God is far away. He doesn't know my pain. And that makes it hard for me to relate to him because he, doesn't, he hasn't been in my shoes. And number four, I have a much longer list than this. This is what I could try to narrow this down to is about your emotions. You know, the past two times I've had the opportunity to, to preach, uh, I felt this strongly um, I think one of the weaknesses in the charismatic church is that we either have way too much emotion or we have none at all. And uh, here's the lie of the enemy that he wants you to believe. Your feelings are a nuisance. Your emotions are inconvenient. They get in the way. So if you're an emotional person, the label that you hear from the enemy is you're inconvenient. You get in the way. And altogether, the lie of the enemy is emotions are just bad. You know, I laughed because as I was writing this, I couldn't help but uh, feel another song, Brother Randy. No, I'm not going to sing one of those songs. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, it's, it's way less spiritual, I promise. Uh, I was thinking of the Frozen song, my God. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. But now they know. Let it go. You know, the, it's, it's the plan of the enemy to tell you that you don't have feelings. To make you think they're a nuisance. But can I tell you, when you get in the presence of God, your emotions can become a weapon and they can be a highway into the very heart of the Father. Your emotions have purpose. And can I tell you, if you deny your emotions, you would deny a large part of who you are and how God's created to you to be. Of course, everybody knows this in the church. Don't be led by emotions. But does anybody actually say your emotions aren't a nuisance? They're not a problem. And we need to stop treating them like one in the church. Because why? Can I, have you ever heard of the scripture? Shortest scripture in the Bible. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus wept. David is in this story. And he's a mighty man. He's a macho man. And the 600 are there. And they're... You know, they're ready to go. And they get back there and everything that they've ever had is gone. And the scriptures tell us David and his men wept aloud until they could weep no more. Have you ever cried so hard that you just had no strength left? Have you, have you, and we're not talking about just crying like a little tear. We're talking about weeping. We're talking about boo-hoo, not your Hallmark cry. I'm talking about like you, <laughs> I watched a Hallmark movie this weekend. It was the worst decision of my life. Thanks a lot, Carissa and Alexis. 
Amen. <laughs> Secretly, I forget what it's called. It's a Christmas movie. It's like the weirdest thing. It's about a figure skater. Anyways. Uh, but your feelings, you know, uh, let me, let me kind of help the different generations. You know, here's my perception, and we, I, I'm sure a lot of times we don't mean this, whether it's in the church or whether it's just in general, but can I tell you that a large part of millennials feel like they don't fit in in society? They feel like they're a nuisance. They feel like they don't have a place to belong because why? A lot of people say we're too emotional. We're not reliable. We're this, we're that. Can I tell you, can I encourage you, church? I love you guys. Don't partner with the accuser. We can't afford this, this generation that's about to take up what you guys are about to leave behind. We don't have time. We don't have the energy to think any thoughts about ourselves that the Father isn't thinking about us. Generation Z, you too. I think about this. We need to be like our Father a lot more. We need to sympathize. We need to place ourselves in people's shoes instead. Not, listen, people want hope, but they don't want to just hear you preaching to them. They, you know, it's a lot harder for you to walk alongside of somebody instead of just give them a prophetic word and say, peace out. Can I tell you that that's what the Lord does in our lives? The way he encourages our faith is by he walks alongside of us. He acknowledges our weaknesses. And then, just like the Lord told me this this week, some of us retreat and we run away from God. And David and his men could have easily done this. But what he does is he acknowledges our pain. And he causes this thing to well up in us as we make him our chief, our, our Lord. And he raises us up to, 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 uh, raises us up to the occasion. And he tells us, rise up to the occasion. I'm with you. I'm not far away. I know how you feel. I know what it looks like, David. You've lost everything. You've wept until you can't weep anymore. You have no idea what to do, but I'm there with you. Jesus wept. You ever heard of the scripture about the weeping prophets? We hear the scripture that says, cry aloud and spare not. David and his men, they wept. And can I tell you that your pain your, your tears carry pain. One of my brothers in the faith, Paul Johnson, I hope I don't but butcher this, and I promise this is my second Pentecostal closing. When you don't acknowledge tears, you don't acknowledge pain. When you don't acknowledge somebody's weaknesses in their tears, you're saying forget about your pain. It doesn't really matter. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Honestly, if I'm really being real, I don't really care. And the Father's not like that. But what he does do, though, is he encourages us, and he, he, is, he is the one that lifts our head to him, to where we find our identity in him. And it's, it's not just like this, this intro 
perverted thing, just like Carissa was saying, we begin to fix our focus rightly to him. And in uh, uh, making much of him, we find our identity. We find these deep things that we're, the, the world and, and the church has neglected for too long, these lies that we believed in. And the Lord begins to minister to those things. And he takes them and he makes them into a weapon. So we can go out into the culture and help to define the culture instead of letting the culture define us. So I want to encourage you. Do not conceal, feel, but rise to the occasion. We have a great high priest that has walked through these things, and he knows. I want to finish this story because I think it's amazing. Man, what would it have been like for David to return back to his home? And all of these lies are beginning to swallow him whole. And he's wept and he's acknowledged and he just, I mean, like emotions are strong too. And he's like, man, what do I do? I'm encouraged because this guy, uh, he says, it says that David began to encourage himself in the Lord his God. Man, what kind of encouragement what must have been for him to turn 600 men getting them ready, not only himself, but getting them ready to go, you know what, we're going to march on. And you know what, instead of running away from God, he's like, dude, get me the ephod. I'm about to communicate with the Father. I'm not going to put him on the shelf. I'm not going to say, God, you stink and, and my pain and you don't know. No, what he does is he runs to the priest and he says, give me the ephod because I'm going to have a conversation with God. I'm going to get back to the secret place. I'm going to get back to the moment where I hear his voice clearly. And the, and the Lord begins to speak to him and speak through him. And I want to fast forward the story a little bit. But he uh, takes the 600 men, 200 of them stay behind. The 400, they go on. They end up crossing this crazy ravine, and they find a servant, an Amalekite uh, servant. And uh, he's out there in the field, and David's like, dude, who are you? And he's like, dude, I, uh, I, I'm a slave, and my master just pretty much left me here. And uh, uh, the servant basically ends up feeding him, you know, his uh, number one for McDonald's with extra Mac sauce and fries and a drink. That's a joke. Thanks a lot for laughing. He, uh, he strengthened, he, the, you know, the servant begins to feed David, and <laughs> I could imagine crossing a ravine after I've lost everything. I've encouraged myself in the Lord, and the Bible says that he did not eat three days or three nights, eat or drink anything. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And so what happens is, he goes on the word of the Lord. Man, can I tell you, that's a crazy thing. That's some faith right there. For, for you to be met with the occasion and your only response is faith. In God's word, in his promise, every word that he's spoken to you. I want to say this too. God's promises to us are yes and amen. His promises to us are going to come through their yes and amen. And so what happens is they cross this ravine. We jump out down here, 1 Samuel 30. Let's go to 
16. They, they, they begin to raid the Amalekites. It says, he led David down, and there they were scattered, the Amalekites, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening, the next day, and none of them got away. None of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. And the Bible tells us that David, in the midst of calamity, recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. And David brought everything back. Kayla, can you come up and play? It's beautiful what faith can do. And I want to encourage you today. The Father doesn't want to give you a minimum encouragement. He wants to greatly encourage us today. He wants us to look to him in our time of trouble and to be so sure to, to have that kind of faith that can look in the face of death, that can look in the face of calamity and, and, and all of the, the, the lies of the enemy about yourself and make you a confident son and daughter. I am the object of his affection. He actually loves me. He is committed. For some of you today, I really feel this in my spirit too. He's committed to the word that he's given you. He's committed to your faith. When you run out of faith, he's there to help strengthen your faith. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. God is good. Because it's his character, it's who he is. God isn't far away. He feels your pain and he beckons you to come close to him. The scripture tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. One of my favorite scriptures is that he, uh, the scriptures tell us as he gave us the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that Holy Spirit was uh, the, the fattest down payment that you could ever receive of your sonship, of your daughtership? It's like the signet ring that he put on your finger. He gave you the advocate. The moment of your salvation in Ezekiel 36, 26, it tells us that he gave us his spirit and he put a new heart in us. I want to tell you today that God is good. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I really feel this. The enemy is really after your faith today. But he loves you. He wants you to know that when he gives you a word, he's going to be faithful and true to complete it. He gave us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to lead us into the truth. And it's by his spirit, if we allow him to lead us, that we are confirmed as sons and daughters. It's not of your own merit. It's not of your own good doing. You can't do anything more to deserve it or earn it. And lastly, the Father wants to tell us, your feelings aren't a burden. 
they're an avenue to my heart. And I want to take you deep into my heart. Because you are made for worship. You are made for love. You know, one of the beautiful things about the cross, this is my last thought here, my second to last, is, you know, the, the Lord died on the cross not to just forgive us of sin and establish intimacy with us, but he died not to just be your Savior, but to be your Lord. The Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. My ruler is above the ruler of this world. My king, the lover of my soul, the one that remembered me, the one that holds the stars and still holds my heart, he's my master. And can I tell you, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 35 is my last encouragement. Hebrews 10, 35. So do not throw away your confidence. Feel the Father saying this to you. Why don't you begin to close your eyes and just imagine God the Father saying this to you. You don't have to be strong. He's attracted to your weakness. He doesn't run away from it. He doesn't look at you and go, man, you know what? You should be a lot further along by now. I'm frustrated with you and I'm done. He says, don't throw away your confidence, son, daughter. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done my will, you will, you will receive what I've promised you. Can everybody stand this morning? I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know if COVID and all the things that have been going on have been shaking you up. Or maybe you're like myself this week. I had, can I tell you, I, this was not easy to prepare. Maybe you're like me and the, the enemy has been attacking you and I've had to run back to the secret place and ask the Lord to encourage me. But, you know, if you feel like this message is for you, you really feel like the Lord's beginning to, uh, you know, this is a young marker that I felt when I was um, just coming to the Lord. My heart began to beat real fast, and I knew he was touching my heart. If that's you this morning, you're running low on encouragement, and you feel like your faith is about to fail you, and you're wondering, you've got looming questions in your heart. I want you to not waste any time, but I want you to come down here. I want, you, I want you to come down to these altars. If you're here this morning and you are saying, God, I, I want to, I've realized that in my, my time of trouble, the only thing that comes out of me is fear, abandonment, failure, frustration. I want you to come down. I really believe there's some people here this morning that the Lord's going to set free. If that's you, I want you to come down. The Lord's going to strengthen our faith. It's okay to be weak. 
Can I give you that permission from the Father? It's okay to be weak. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to be in the process. Come on, there's a lot more of us out here. Jesus. Yeah, I want to take some time for, I don't want to ask the the elders quite yet and, and the altar team to come down. I just want us to take a moment. The scriptures in Hebrews tells us to consider him. To consider him who endured. Let's take some time to consider him. Let the Lord begin to wash over you. Let his word begin to bolster your faith. The Lord wants to strengthen us today. So I just want to take a couple minutes and just consider him. Look to him this morning. atmosphere. There's some of you that have been holding on to a good cry. This is your moment to let it out. The Lord sees your pain. You've been holding on for your faith to not fail you. God is the hope of your heart. He's going to strengthen you today. some of us this morning I get this picture of uh, like a jar and it's got all these cracks in it and normally it's supposed to have fallen to the floor but it's held up by like clear pieces of tape and it's, it's shaking and it's rattling and I feel like the Lord is saying it's okay to be broken I'm the one that can smooth over the cracks. I'm the one that can, I don't even know what the word would be, but he, he can reshape us. He can put some more clay on us. Some of us that have been walking broken and we look like we're doing okay, but deep down, apart from ministry, apart from being around Christian people, deep down, Nobody really knows the deep, dark thoughts that you've been having, the feelings. 
I actually feel this strongly too. There's somebody that's watching right now over the live stream. That's you. The Lord is going to touch you right now in the name of Jesus. The Lord is going to encourage you. He's going to wash over you with his love. And you're going to feel him like you've never felt him before. If, the, if, if you feel like this message, you know, is not exactly for you, I want you to just lift up your voice. Begin to pray for those that are down here at the altar. We need to strengthen each other. We need to be conduits of God's love for each other. Because you have no idea what people are going through. God, we look to you this morning. You are the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And I just decree and declare in this place, you will be faithful and true to do what you long to do, God. You are going to come back on a white horse in Revelation 19, and you are going to establish justice. You're going to make the wrong things right, Lord. Elders, you guys can come down and pray. Altar team, I encourage you to come down. Pray for somebody down here. Listen, y'all, if this message is for you, don't spend any time trying to trivialize, trying to spiritualize, trying to talk your way out of it. Just come down. Come down. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out in faith. I promise you the Lord's going to meet you this morning if you step out in faith. If that's you, don't waste time. This is your moment to meet with the Father. some of you here that in the back of your mind you've been thinking I haven't been real faithful with my time with the Lord you know calamity troubles haven't quite come my way I've been able to get through them can I encourage you you're not made to run on fumes You're made to run on the oil of intimacy. And so if you feel like your, your flame is, is going in and out, I want to encourage you to come down. The Lord wants to help reestablish the place of intimacy in your heart with him. The Bible tells us to repent so that times of refreshing may come. Let's get real before the Father.
start praying for somebody don't be too distracted by me but those that are done can we can we do this right here can we open up both of our hands just like this this is a sign of surrender let's ask the the Lord to come and touch us again during this week Father I want to thank you that you are the author and the finisher of my faith. God, I thank you that you are the pioneer and the perfecter of my faith. God, I thank you that you placed faith in my heart. That sonship, that daughtership is my inheritance. That you are my superior pleasure, Lord. God, I pray that you would undo the web of lies that the enemy has tried to get us to believe. That you would expose the lies of the enemy in our hearts, God. We've believed those lies for far too long, and we're asking you, God, to take us into your presence. Take us deep into your heart, Father. Take us into your love, Lord. God, forgive us for believing those lies, Lord. We're coming to you. We're running to you, God. I pray, God, that you would help bolster our faith. God, you want to encourage us. And, Lord, you swore by yourself the undeniable truth so that you would encourage us so that we might know you in a greater way, Lord. Pour out the love of the Father upon us, Lord. Do away with the orphan. Do away, God, with the hiding and the running away and the self-hatred. God, we can't afford to think of ourselves any way that you don't think about us. We just say we want all of you, Lord. We thank you for your encouragement towards us. We love you, God. We receive all that you have. Build our trust in you. Build and bolster our faith. Establish hope in our hearts so that we can be confident for the days ahead. We love you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you guys. Please be mindful of those that are receiving healing, that are letting it out at the altar. Do me a favor. Go hug somebody. Go encourage somebody this week. Love on them. Point them to the cross. Point them to Jesus. Point them to a hope that's not going to fail them. Love you guys. Thanks for coming to Youth Sunday. Stay tuned for next week when my sister Allison preaches. We love you guys. This is the heart of the Father. Amen.